This is Tommy Franks. Welcome to the Four Star Leadership Podcast, a product of the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and Museum. We're here to get a view into the lives of the legacy makers, the movers, and the shakers of today to offer insights from the full spectrum of the leadership community. We'll talk to former four-star students and explore their leadership development path. We'll work to find out what they are about today and learn from the opportunities they've made for themselves in this world. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome you to this podcast. Remember, leaders are not born, they're developed. everyone and welcome to another episode of the Core Principles of Leadership with General Tommy Franks. I am your host, Delise Travis, and we are on episode number 17 with our guest Byron Hogan, and we'll be talking about leading with emotional intelligence. But before we get into our program, we'll have a word from our major sponsor, REI Oklahoma. REI Oklahoma is proud to be a part of the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and the production and distribution of these podcasts designed to inspire leaders and difference makers. At REI Oklahoma, we have been working with small business leaders, entrepreneurs, and people who are driven to succeed for years. Highly motivated people working to own their own businesses, live in their own homes, and make the world a better place. Since its beginning, REI Oklahoma has continued to identify hurdles and deliver holistic solutions to create job growth and help neighborhoods thrive in both rural and urban communities. REI Oklahoma looks forward to visiting with you about helping your business and community grow. Visit reiok.org or call 800-658-2823 to start the conversation. The Labar family is a fourth-generation Oklahoma family. That may not sound like a long time, but our grandfathers were born here, within the Comanche Nation, before the land runs. We are the proudest sponsor of the Tommy Franks Four-Star Leadership Podcast. We hope listeners will heed the words of these distinguished men and women who have served our country at the highest levels and across all walks of life. Emotional intelligence is the number one factor in personal and professional success. It keeps us connected in our disconnected world. It is the ability to read other people's emotions while not being ruled by our own. Byron Hogan, emotional intelligence coach and animal behaviorist, grew up riding and training horses. His interest in wild horses and self-improvement began when he was asked to develop programs for veterans and troubled youth. He quickly realized the missing link horses provide, which is discovered through his workshops. Hogan now uses this knowledge for professional development workshops, including teacher in-service training, corporate teams, private family events, and at-risk groups. Hogan has a vast background of success in multiple facets of the horse industry. He's been a champion of the Extreme Mustang Makeover, an event producer of the biggest ever wild horse competition, Mustang Million. He is a sensation in the performance horse arena and is a nationally ranked open finalist in several organizations, including American Stock Horse Association and Stock Horse of Texas. Hogan is described as a phenomenal communicator and life-changing coach. 
His unique approach is transformative for all audiences of all kinds. Byron can be found across the country on any given weekend helping people with their horse relationships and their human relationships. I think the most surprising thing for people is how humanistic these workshops are. It's not really about the horses at all. The ability to relate to other humans is the real takeaway, says Hogan. And now let's join Byron Hogan on leadership with emotional intelligence. Good morning, Byron Hogan. Welcome to Force Our Leadership with General Tommy Franks. We're so excited to have you. And this is a, a different kind of program for us, but I think it's very, very fitting for what we do in leadership development. The name of your company is Hogan Equine, and you do course training, but you also go into emotional intelligence workshops. Uh, what is emotional intelligence and what do your workshops look like? Good morning, Delise. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of a niche thing. It's so much fun. But emotional intelligence is the number one factor among successful people. All the research out there is showing that. Um, the common denominator is emotional intelligence. So if, if someone woke up today and said, I just want to do something to improve myself that's going to guarantee success, that's what it would be. Uh, it doesn't matter where you come from, your, your social, economic background, education, anything. Although those things do help, right? They do elevate you. Uh, the number one factor is emotional intelligence. So I'm all about it. Thank you. Thank you for um, sharing that with us. I'd like to go back to the beginning and a little bit about you. We've established what our program is going to be about today. Let's go back and learn a little bit more about Byron Hogan. You're from Guyman, Oklahoma. Is that right? I am traditionally known as no man's land. It is. It absolutely is. And, um, so you graduated Diamond High School, went to, where did you go to school after that? Do you want to tell us about? Sure. Graduated Diamond High School and then 10 miles away in a little town called Goodwell, Oklahoma, is actually a four-year university called Oklahoma Panhandle State University. And so you, you went to school there and you got your degree in... Well, I surprisingly, uh, when people see me, they would never guess, but I went on a full ride art scholarship um, and was also at the same time able to get my pre-vet degree. So mostly biological sciences, human physiology, all of, all of those things, all the prerequisites that you would need to go to vet school. So you were really intelligent and really creative. Yeah, I, it's, it's kind of odd for someone to, to be both. Um, I, I luckily can tap into both sides, left brain and right brain, uh, which they say, you know, when you're doing surgeries and things like that, you do have to tap into both because you're a bit of an artist. And then obviously there's a lot of cognitive skills that are involved in, in doing surgical procedures. Um, and, and so they actually, when you apply to vet school, they like to see things like that. They want to see that you have other interests, uh, art or music or, or something. So you applied for vet school. I did, Delise. I, I applied for vet school. 
this was way, way back before I started the emotional intelligence workshops. And, and in fact, I did not have a lot of EI myself at the time. Um, thankfully, I did get all the way down to the final interview process. So when you apply, you go through several stages. And during the interview, uh, they looked at me and said, Byron, what is going to happen if we don't let you in this year? Now, most people say, oh, gosh, I just can't imagine. And I will go back to school. I'll work on my master's and I will reapply. I will come back. I will reapply. But not me. I just looked at them and I said, well, if you don't let me in, I'm just going to go train horses. And, and uh, you know, that's exactly what I got to go do. <laughs> Two weeks later, I got a rejection letter in the mail, and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> so, so you went from there. I think that's a great story, and and so many people have uh, stories of life happens, and so this is how I went down this road. So can you tell us then what happened from there? And um, so you started training horses, and at what point did you get interested in emotional intelligence? What prompted you? My my goal, even as a little boy, I wanted to be the world's greatest horseman. Um, Horses just brought me so much joy, so much validation, and they were such a challenge. You know, if if you figured out one horse, the next one was completely different, or maybe the next day the same horse was completely different. So that was what I was trying to do when when I got out of school. I just worked and worked and tried to be a better trainer and actually had some success here and there and started teaching horsemanship, doing training seminars centered around horsemanship. I, I showed horses. I did a lot of different things and got into program development. So I worked for Mustang Heritage for five years and actually developed a lot of programs to rehome horses, use horses to help serve the underserved, but it wasn't until about oh, six years ago when I got back out on my own, I wanted to expand my business. Uh, I, I thought, you know, one thing that people in the horse industry are not good at is scaling. Because so much of what we do as horsemen and horse trainers is dependent on our two hands. And I wanted to know how do I scale my training business and so I just looked at all these stats and studied business models and I kept running across this thing called emotional intelligence now I had already developed uh, some training models centered around the psychology of a horse to help others I'd developed a military veterans program I developed programs for underserved populations juvenile detention centers all kinds of things and when I run across emotional intelligence and saw that it was the number one factor among successful people, I wanted to also know the psychology behind it. So as I looked at that, I saw quickly that the way a human brain regulates and the science, the neurobiology basically behind emotional intelligence is the same neurobiology behind training wild horses. And that was absolutely fascinating to me. And in one regard, it it finally explained why horses change people. And they don't just change horsemen. It's not like, oh, I'm a horse trainer, and so I go out there every day, and 
and I'm changed because I'm around horses every day, day in and day out. No, it changes people that are non-horsemen. You know, people can interact with a horse for a few minutes or maybe an hour and gain something from it, maybe even just intrinsically. Even if it's not a facilitated session, they will work with a horse and walk away changed. That's really how, how I came across emotional intelligence was I just wanted to be a better businessman, a better leader, uh, wanted to develop myself professionally. And so then you wanted to share this with others and you developed your workshops. Yeah, I, you know, at one point, really, I was the only one in my family, not dead or in prison. And I was, you know, really on a journey early on to figure out why me, you know, why did I make it out? And I knew that horses had a big piece of that because I was one of the only ones that really got heavily involved with horses. So once I figured out the reasons behind my success, you know, why horses helped me, I quickly realized that, oh, my gosh, this could be my purpose in life. Um, a lot of us have passion. And it's real easy to get distracted by your passion and skip over your purpose. And really, I think in a nutshell, all of us are here to help others in some way, shape, or form. And when I discovered emotional intelligence, I went, oh, my gosh, this is a way I can give back. You know, for all the years I spent trying to muddle through life, figure out my own profession, figure out my own emotional intelligence, you know, all that time wasn't wasted. Uh, I saw where, wow, I can give back to others. This is something that I could give to a stranger. I don't have to know you. I don't have to know any of your problems or any of your struggles. And I can give you these, these tools. I can show you these tools quickly. And you can walk away changed. You can walk away with a changed mind, changed relationships. Uh, greater emotional intelligence, and gosh, that's that's a pretty big thing, right? The, the ability to change someone's mind, that's huge. And so I, I just, I never set out to do emotional intelligence. I never really set out to be a, a professional coach or anything like that. I wanted to be the world's greatest horseman. But the moment I saw that that I could have an effect on others, that, that's addictive. I mean, that it, it, it just changes your course. You know, a lot of people will say that happens when they have kids. You know, it's like, wow, I, I realize how I'm, I'm going to affect this little person. And, and you can, you can tell like their whole life just changes and, and their whole course is about the effect they can have on that person. And, and I never had kids. And, and so the idea that, wow, I can have that same kind of effect on everybody around me. It, it's just, it was very addictive. That's awesome that you could combine your passion with your purpose. I think so many of us are are looking for an opportunity to do that. Can you tell me what, what your typical workshop looks like and how you share that information? Well, sure. So a typical one-day workshop is a combination of PowerPoint lecture and then live interaction with wild horses. So uh, it's both a classroom setting and a barn setting. And so you'll come in for about an hour and a half 
and we will go through the techniques that I use and the techniques that you can easily use. And after about an hour and a half, you will actually work with wild mustangs. So because the wild horse brain regulates the same way a human brain regulates, the techniques that we learn during the lecture time, we can put them into practice using a wild horse just like we would use another person. What kind of um, locations do you use for these workshops? Do you have to go to your to the ranch or have a place or tell me about what that looks like? Sure. That's a great question. Um, you know, typically people think, oh, I'm going to go to a guest ranch and I'm going to meet this cowboy and whatnot. But I'm actually really, really mobile with what I do. So I fly around all over the country and I source things locally venues i source horses locally wild horses and i can host anywhere so typically we're not at a ranch typically we're at some sort of venue a wedding venue a ballroom uh maybe just a corporate meeting space and i can actually bring wild horses indoors um i've had them on concert stages uh, like i said ballrooms I, I have a really cool picture in the middle of COVID where we did it in, in this fancy ballroom space and there's icicle chandeliers hanging down over the wild horses, you know, and, uh, and it just, it's very, it, it changes the experience. You know, when, when you walk in and, and you do a PowerPoint and then you spin your chair around and there's a wild horse there. So, I, I basically, I tell people I, I can do this anywhere. And that's, that's one of the barriers that I struggle with professionally is people hear emotional intelligence and they're intrigued and then they hear wild horse and they think, golly, we're going to have to fly out to Montana or Nevada or Wyoming to, to do this experience. And, and I tell them, no, not at all. I'm, I'm nationwide. We can literally go anywhere. So what kind of groups have you um... – what kind of groups have you worked with for these experiences? Like all kinds of groups, right? Yeah, people ask me all the time, who are you helping? What's your demographic? From a business standpoint, who are you marketing to? Who are we going to target? And my answer is always the same. My answer is the world. We are all here to connect with others. We're all here to work with others. So who cannot use more emotional intelligence? But I, I do corporate training. I do in-service training for school districts, you name it. So I've, I've done uh, restaurants. Uh, we did a meatpacking house. Um, I've done nursing groups, just, just you name it, office groups. Uh, one group that I really like to work with are, are teachers. That, that's a fun one because that is a – exponential impact you're going to have. If you affect one teacher, how many hundreds, if not thousands of kids are you going to affect through that teacher? So that one's a, always a fun group for me personally. Uh, I've done juvenile detention halls, at-risk groups, um, rehab centers, and and then we just do open calls. So like last night, um, we did a, an open call event where the general public can sign up here in El Reno, Oklahoma at Redlands College. And you get just a little bit of everything doing that. Now, the, the, the only thing is it's a lot of material. It's pretty in-depth. And so I, 
you know, there's no age limit as far as maximum age. You can be 200 and still still gain something from it. Uh, but I typically tell people about 12, 13 years old is the youngest that I recommend come to one of these workshops. But we are we are open to the public. Anybody and everybody can benefit from this. So is this equine, one of the things we talked about, is this equine therapy? Do you want to kind of expound on that? No, it's it's not equine therapy. You know, I'm I'm completely in support of equine therapy. I, I think it's great, but I I make it widely known I am not doing therapy in any sort of way. Uh, one of the greatest things that I learned or that I ever heard someone say was problems are not problems until they inhibit your ability to connect with others. And I was like, wow, that's really profound. So like anger, anger is not an issue until it gets in the way of how you connect with others. Uh, fear is not an issue until it and, you know, gets in the way of you connecting with others. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I do. Therapy, you know, helps you identify problems, helps you remove them. But what I do is work on connection. I teach connection. That's really more of a life skill, just like EI, emotional intelligence. And what I found is that when you get really good at connecting with people, a lot of times your problems kind of go away on their own. You know, if you strengthen that good behavior, that good quality, that good life skill, a lot of times you don't even have to worry about weakening bad behavior. It just goes away on its own. Uh, for instance, connection is so important. Uh, they did some research way, way back when, and they found that an infant would, will actually die if it, if it doesn't have connection. If that baby doesn't receive connection and touch from humans, let's say you just put it in an incubator and you, you, you feed it intravenously. It's got all the, the you know, physiological needs that it, it could take, but it doesn't receive human connection. That baby will die. I mean, connection is that big of a need. And so that, that's what I teach with this emotional intelligence is really how you can connect with others. And through learning that, that new connection skill, like I said, a lot of times your problems just go away on their own. So can you define what connection is? Um, you've talked about that it's an exchange of energy and pressure. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more about connection, what that is? Sure. So as you just mentioned, my, my definition of connection is a reciprocal exchange of energy. Um, and we've all felt that. We've been in a crowded room where someone tried to catch our eye, or maybe there was someone, a cute guy or gal that we wanted to connect with, and we tried to catch their eye. And, and you, fought, you feel that when it happens. That's an exchange of energy. That's a connection. And, and gosh, we all desire that. We, we desire that exchange. But the reason connection is so hard is that energy creates pressure, right? I said you, you feel that energy when someone's trying to connect with you. But your brain is hardwired to avoid pressure. Like every decision you make, it, it is trying to avoid pressure. Uh, that's why you sweat on command. That's why you get goosebumps. That's why you get angry. All of those things are your brain trying to help you quickly alleviate pressure. 
And this undermines your ability to connect because connection is also pressure. And, and so depending on how your brain's wired, whether you're really emotional or really rational, will, will highly affect your ability to connect. So in your clinic, we talked about um, some additional, I, I thought it was really interesting, some additional ways that our bodies uh, react to pressure. And we also talked about if, uh, if you blush or if you, um, and, and I thought, yeah, crying is actually, yes, a huge release of pressure. And yeah. can you, do you want to share some of those? Yeah, like like you mentioned, blushing or crying as two examples. Uh, that is your body's way of trying to alleviate pressure. So through a stressor of some sort, there has been stress chemicals released, right? Like being embarrassed or being overwhelmed and crying. Uh, there there have been stress hormones released, and so through crying, through being embarrassed, which when you're embarrassed. It's actually capillaries opening up in your face. And so you look flushed because the blood is, is being uh, rushed to your extremities. And that's your body trying to ex- excrete those hormones that it, that it released. Um, the, these are ways, again, that your brain is trying to alleviate pressure. But the problem is your brain does that with or without your consent. Right, you don't you don't necessarily get to choose when you when you get flushed, right? And right. a lot of times you don't get to choose when you cry, right? You get overwhelmed and you, you cry whether you want to or not. But that's happening a lot more than we think. You know, we think we're in control of all these decisions, but a lot of them are emotional decisions. And and your brain is just hijacking you. It's taking over, it's it's alleviating pressure whether you want to or not. And and that's unfortunate because there there's sometimes where you need to lean in the pressure or accept pressure or yield to it, not just try to avoid it. And and so that's that's what you learn how to do in, in these workshops is, is you learn how to be more cognitive. Uh, you be more aware of when your brain is trying to avoid pressure. And then you get the chance to decide, does this need to be avoided? Does it need to be accepted? Do I need to lean into this? All of those things that that innately you don't get a choice on. I, I thought that was so interesting. And I was thinking, you know, there's different types of cries. There's like an emotional cry when you get kind of emotional about something and you tear up. Or there's something when you're just totally um, emotionally overcome and and there's the ugly cry or you know there's there's different ways that our body responds to emotion and like you said your brain is just hijacking your body to relieve this pressure and so is is pressure related to your energy can you explain that like your um energy levels what controls that yeah, so if you think about, we, we've identified that your brain alleviates pressure, but pressure and energy work very closely. So we all have energy, right? Some people have more energy than others, and that's what helps us put pressure on other people, right? 
Um, like if you're not getting something you want, you raise your energy level. Literally, you'll raise your voice or you'll get closer to somebody so that they know you're serious and, and you're raising that energy level. The, the problem is your emotions are what control your energy. So if I asked you to tell me, when are you high energy? Or when are you low energy? Most likely, you're going to describe an emotion. Like, like most people, when you ask them, when are you high energy? They'll say, oh, when I'm happy or when I'm nervous or when I'm anxious or elated, right? And all of those are emotions. So the, that's unfortunate <laughs> because then again, your brain's hijacking you. So in order for you to put pressure on somebody, most people have to get emotional before they can put enough pressure on somebody to create change. They'll be frustrated, right? A lot of people will just ask nicely, keep asking nicely. And, and that emotion's building, right? Gosh, why won't this person just communicate or why won't they give me what I ask for? And then by the time you're able to apply enough pressure, you're so frustrated that emotion is, is driving the energy. Now, one thing I probably didn't mention is that emotions are involuntary. So this energy level, this ebb and flow, this rising and lowering of energy is being involuntarily controlled by your brain. Like, for instance, if I kick you in the shin, you are going to involuntary have, involuntarily have an emotional response. You, you won't get to choose it, right? You can't help but get aggravated or angry when somebody kicks you in the shin and your energy level will automatically go up, but it doesn't have to. And so your ability to connect with others in some regard is, is beyond your control because the part of the brain that controls emotions controls energy, which determines connection. And so it's an involuntary part of the brain, meaning you have no control over it. But the good news is you can actually rewire your brain, which is what we do with wild horses. When we train a wild Mustang, we're literally rewiring his brain. You know, today they can do brain scans, at least, and you can see which part of the brain is firing during certain, you know, scenarios. And so if we were to do that with a wild horse before you train him and then after, you would literally see different parts of his brain lighting up, particularly the rational part, his neocortex. It would light up a lot more post-training than pre-training. And so we're actually doing the same thing with people and you can rewire your own brain. And in, in one regard, that's what the emotional intelligence workshop does. It's, it's neuroscience. It's rewiring your, your own brain so that you can better connect with others. It's, it's a great exercise to try to work with it and understand it by um, applying pressure and relieving pressure with the horses and understand that people work the exact same way because our brains are wired the exact same way. Yeah, yeah. So like, like when you put that pressure on, 
the the hardest part once it's on is taking it off. A lot of times there's a, an emotion behind applying pressure. And so when you work with horses, that's a big part of what we work on. And you probably saw that at the workshop. It's like people were really good at putting pressure on and, and terrible at taking it off <laughs> because an emotion helped you get there. Right. And, and it's, it's really hard to shut emotions off. It's, it's hard to detach that energy, that pressure to detach it from your emotions, but, but you can, it is possible. So, yes, it is really hard to detach when, as you said, you're looking for a try. And when they give you a try or just a nod in the right direction to take the pressure off immediately and reward that, that's that's the paycheck for them is um, the pressure off. And uh, so and, and it's so interesting to apply that to our relationships with people. We're going to take a quick break in our discussion to hear a word from one of our great sponsors. Hello, this is Jay Zacharias with the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and Museum, and I would like to tell you about one of our partner sponsors. His name is Justin Krieger, and he has worked as an independent insurance agent at Krieger Insurance Agency in his hometown of Hobart, Oklahoma, since 1999. Justin is honored to help with the annual Celebration of Freedom event and has been a board member for the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and Museum for many years. He is also a fifth generation farmer and rancher in Kiowa County, where cattle, crops, and even insurance is sold with a handshake. Give him a call at 580-726-3076 or come by the office if you would like to speak with Justin Krieger or Kathy Lankford about insurance. We are thankful to our customers and friends who have supported us through the years. Again, Justin would like to say how honored he is to live in such a great country and how proud he is to help sponsor these podcasts. Please enjoy the rest of this podcast experience from your friends at Krieger Insurance Agency. How does all of this play into our relationship with people and in the professional world in leadership? Well, just to key off the pressure a little bit more, um, you know, recognizing that try, taking the pressure off when people try that's not innate um we are taught as a society um as humans in general that you leave the pressure on until you reach the goal right um like you you don't get paid a full paycheck for doing half the work for trying to do your job you get paid when you do your job but that is not what causes people to change necessarily, especially if they're struggling, especially when they're emotional, uh, when there's resistance going on, you've got to find small ways to, to recognize, try. And, and that's why it's important to build your emotional intelligence. Uh, it really plays into leadership big, big time. And I know uh, there in your program, you've got four core principles, caring, communication, common vision, and character. Those are all, in my opinion, dependent on your emotional intelligence. It's a huge part of all four principles. So, like, let's start with caring. So caring for me, in a nutshell, would be the ability to care for others or have empathy for them, right? So that's first done by recognizing an emotion in someone else. Okay, you're being rational. You're using the rational part of your brain, which emotional intelligence is the ability to think and feel at the same time. 
So for me to recognize your emotion, an emotion in someone else, I, I've got to think, okay? Then if I'm trying to have empathy, I have to be able to actively feel what they're feeling as well. So I have to be able to turn on the emotional side of my brain. So I'm using both of them at once. So if I truly want to empathize, I can first read you. I can see, I can think that you're having a certain emotion. And then I can switch over to the emotional side of my brain and I can actually conjure up the feeling that you're feeling so that we can have a shared experience. And, and isn't that really what you do with your friends, right? When you're struggling, you call them up and you want to express your frustrations or, or your sorrows because you want somebody to have a shared experience with you. That's empathy. And that's a big part of leadership, right? When you have people working under you or you're trying to motivate them towards a common goal, uh, it's really about, hey, what, what is their experience of this work environment, right? And, and, and not, that, not that that means because of their experience I'm going to change anything, but it means I'm going to be able to communicate and connect more effectively if I can empathize with them. They're literally going to feel connected to me. And, and that's, that's a really hard skill. For some of it, it's, it's not innate at all. Our brain just isn't wired to do that. We're very task-oriented, right? What do you need to get this done, right? It's like, what do you need? And, and people are like, well, I don't need anything. I just need your support. Okay, well, what, what does that look like? You know, and you're thinking like, how many pencils do you need? You know, what software do you need? What, you know, and it's very rational and logistical, but sometimes people just need to know you're willing to connect with them. You're willing to empathize with them. You see that this is hard for them. And that's enough for them to motivate because connection, again, is a need. Caring, connecting with people is a need. So when someone's working on a project, rather than say, are you going to have that project done by noon today? That was the deadline. You ask, how are you, how, how would you do that in, in a caring way? Would you say, how is that project coming along? How, what do you need to finish it by noon? Do you need anything to finish it by noon? Or do you need any help from me? Sure. Am I well, following? Am I tracking? Yeah. Yeah. I, what I use, um, I try to use real simple tools, right? Because when you're in conflict and not necessarily conflict, but when there's, um, you know, duress going on or a stressful situation, you need some simple tools right then that you can use. So a word that I always keep on the forefront of my mind is acknowledgement, right? I'm going to find ways to acknowledge the struggle, acknowledge the situation, acknowledge the person. So I would walk up and go, Hey, I know that you're on a deadline and I know that I, I put 12 o'clock noon as, as a hard deadline today. And I also know that's going to be really hard for you to hit that benchmark. So I wanted to check in and see what you needed to get that done. I know you're probably struggling to, to achieve the noon deadline. So what can we do to make sure that happens? See, I, I, I didn't attack them. I didn't say, you better have it done. I didn't say, hey, are you or are you not going to have it done? And that, that what didn't come into play. Because those things should be understood, right? They know the deadline. You know the deadline. It's understood that you should have it done by noon. 
they're they're already feeling the pressure, right, of having that deadline. So what they need to know a lot of times is just that I am aware of their struggle. And and a lot of times, believe it or not, that's all somebody needs. From there, because they know or they feel like I know they're struggling, they're a lot more apt to express what their needs are. Um, It's not that we're babying people. It's not that we're giving them excuses for for poor performance. Not at all. Uh, I just want them to feel like I empathize and connect with them. And part of that is communication. So to make sure that they know, do you want to kind of? That's a big part of it. Yeah, communication. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. So one of the coolest aha moments I feel like at, at one of my emotional intelligence workshops is when we talk about communication. Everybody wants to learn how to communicate better. They want to be a more effective communicator, a better orator. They, they want to learn all these things. And my big one-liner is all communication is pressure. Good communication and bad communication is still pressure. So if I say hi to you, good morning, Delise. If you chose to sit in silence instead of saying something back, acknowledging that I said good morning, you're going to start feeling that pressure, right? Because even though I was nice in my greeting, if you don't respond, that creates pressure. And that's important because, again, your brain spends all its time avoiding pressure. And that's why sometimes people, especially when we're in leadership and we're dealing with others, sometimes we feel like we have effectively communicated. We were a great orator. We were cordial. um, We spoke with a good tone. They just flew off the handle for seemingly no reason. Well, it's because even though we were a great, what what a lot of people would say, effective or a great communicator, that was pressure to them. And you see it a lot with with kids or or teenagers. You know, you ask them to do something, and they just you're like, whoa, where was that? Well, not necessarily your fault, but but that communication created pressure. Uh, an example would be with a wild horse. You can bring in a wild horse to the fanciest barn ever. Now, granted, this horse has been running out in the wilderness eating like cactus, right? Living on sagebrush. And you can put him in this fancy stall. And when you throw a flake of alfalfa hay in there, which that's like filet mignon to a horse, he sees that as pressure. He'll try to jump over the stall wall, you know, because it, everything's pressure to them. So, somebody that maybe doesn't have a high level of emotional intelligence or maybe someone that hasn't experienced the leadership, they just think everything's pressure. Anytime you communicate with them, they're like, oh, they're just pressure, pressure, pressure. So learning emotional intelligence is important for communication because you learn how to gauge pressure. You learn to read how pressure is affecting someone rather than go, oh, did I communicate effectively? You'll go, hey, how much pressure did that commu- that communication create? Was it enough pressure to create change or was it too much pressure? And then they just completely tried to avoid me. Uh, and so, again, I, I think emotional intelligence is really important when it comes to caring and when it comes to communication. And then what about common vision since we're going through all four core principles of our program? Well, 
so if you if you have caring, good empathy skills, and and you communicate effectively, right? You you realize how much pressure that is or isn't creating on others. You can have a better approach to people and be able to influence them to have a common vision. So the more caring and empathy you develop, the better you can identify things that serve everyone. A common vision is finding a common thread that serves everybody, right? Whether it's in a, a corporate world or maybe at home or in a friend, a circle of friends. Let's say you're planning a vacation. Isn't it that hard to find something everybody wants to do? Uh, you really have to be able to think and feel at the same time when you're you're trying to f- share common vision, right? You, you have to override your own involuntary response to get your own needs met. Because there's going to be times when we're working towards a common vision that I've got to lay some of my own needs aside, some of my own emotions aside, because I'm working towards this one shared common goal, this common vision. And without emotional intelligence, right, your brain's going to hijack you. And you're going to go, yeah, the common goal is this, but I got to take care of myself. And, and you see that in the workplace a lot, right? When you're trying to get everybody on a team, get everybody on board, sharing a common goal, common vision, they'll only go part way and then they kind of retreat because they're trying to protect their job or protect their image or protect their salary, right? They don't want to give up something to have that common common vision. And so as a leader, when, when you have empathy, you can recognize those things and you can help other people recognize those things. And, and then you can share your caring for them, right? And then you can effectively communicate in a way that shows them, hey, we actually will all get our needs met if we're all working on the same goal, right? Common vision in, in simple terms is really just the ability to think and feel at the same time. And, and care about what's best for the whole team, not for the individual. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, coming down to the individual, tell me how you feel, how important is character in emotional intelligence? Well, it's funny how they're so intertwined. I mean, so intertwined. Uh, and really the way we've attacked these four principles today, I feel like, they, they build on each other. You know, uh, you've got to care before you can go communicate, right? And once you care and communicate, you've got to care and communicate before you can have common vision. And when you have common vision, you, you are having character. But, you know, really, character and emotional intelligence are so intertwined in some regards, they're the same thing, right? Without emotional intelligence, you won't have virtue. Uh, you won't have values. You won't have integrity. And, and, and I'm not taking the morality out of this, okay? But scientifically, a lot of times what virtue and, and integrity is, it's, it's putting your own desires, your own natural human desires or, or sinful desires aside, right? Uh, there's a lot of times where to have character, you're sacrificing yourself for the sake of others. Uh, 
virtue, doing the right thing even when no one's looking. Right? I could I could do something in certain moments that would really benefit me, but wouldn't benefit the whole group. Right? That common vision. And and you have to have a level of emotional intelligence to recognize that your brain, your body's wanting to do that in that moment, right? A lot of times we think, oh, people are just good or bad, but sometimes it's a lack of emotional intelligence that keeps them from having virtue, from having value, from having integrity, right? They, they don't – I've spoke to people before that uh, have made kind of an insidious decision, and when you talk to them and, and bring it before them that, hey, that – that decision lacked quite a bit of integrity. It, it's like it never even crossed their mind. They're like, really? Oh, I didn't, I didn't see it that way. And it's because they don't have the ability to think and feel at the same time. They're in such survival mode. All they're thinking about is how do I get my knees met? How do I get my knees met? How do I get my knees met? And so really every person of strong character that I've ever met, had a high level of emotional intelligence and every person that had a lot of emotional intelligence that I met had a strong level of character, had virtue, had integrity, had values for others. So again, I think they're strongly, strongly intertwined. I think that what I have seen so much is coupled with the drive and determination to succeed and emotional intelligence and plays into that a lot is and um, typically we'll see a need of great leaders to want to give back, to share. And I think that's um, something that I've heard you say is a, is really the core of your mission is to give back, to be some part of something much greater than yourself. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, an example would be, I have a dear, dear friend. Um, she's been very, very successful in business. Um, or even early on in her career, uh, by the time she was 25, she was already a millionaire. And, um, if you met her today, you'd never imagine that she wasn't a great leader, high level, emotional intelligence, high level world character. But at one point she was so driven had so much drive. She said, I walked over people. I used people and I didn't even realize it. I didn't realize that, that, that I was using people in that way. And she said, the way I learned it was I, I was walking down the hall and I overheard my employees saying ill things about me that I was this and that. And she said, oh, my gosh, it bothered me so much. I, I never intended for that, that to happen. But it's because she was driven. She was thinking all the time. She had drive, right? Uh, she was very logical, logistical thinking. And so it made her seem like she had no character, no empathy, right? And so she went on her own journey. And at the time, it wasn't emotional intelligence. It was all these other kinds of professional development, but she had to learn to develop uh, her character business sense wise. And she said, I actually got to the point where I would throw quarterly parties 
just so people, my employees knew how much value I would, I had for them. And she said, I started giving away, uh, you know, my money, giving away my things, giving to, to my people. And she said, my company doubled in size in a year. It doubled in size in a year because of, of how I started treating my people. And, and again, it wasn't that she was a bad person at all. She was a great person. It's just she was driven by her logistical brain, her thoughtful brain, um, and that, that feeling side just wasn't kicking in. And so, um, again, if you can't think and feel, it's hard to care. It's hard to communicate. It's hard to have common vision, and it's sure hard to have character. I'm so glad you shared that story because that is, um, I think it's a perfect story to tie that all together. And as they say, you know, servant leaders lift each other up and a rising tide lifts all boats. So when we, what you see in the professional world is if you're lifting others up, lifting your employees up, lifting up the people you work with, say, in, in an organization that is trying to accomplish something. Um, if you lift each other up, you accomplish so much more than if one person is just driving the team because they don't feel appreciated. They don't feel understood. And I think that is that what a great story about that her company doubled in size once she started giving back. And you see that so often is that people are driven to get to the top. And as Dr. Lauer says, um, who he founded the Center for Human Performance, he said, you be the type of leader that will climb over dead bodies to get to the top. And then you get there <laughs> unfulfilled. Um, yeah. And it's not until you start giving back and sharing that, you know, it really, really comes into the whole thing comes into fruition. And so what a great story. So um, she she, she she latched onto that idea so strongly that now, 20 years later, she's still building companies, but the only reason she builds companies is so that she can give it away. And she said, Byron, my goal in life is to die broke. I, I, I am a multimillionaire right now, but I will die broke because I have given it all away. And I thought, wow, what a legacy. Again, I, my, my goal is still to be the world's greatest horse trainer. <laughs> But my way of giving back to the world um, and helping others is really through these emotional intelligence workshops. So you'll be seeing more and more of that. We're scaling that over the next coming months and coming years. And there's really a lot of ways to experience it. So one is the workshop that you came to, our one-day workshop. Uh, the other is a two- to three-day immersion so I have people that become so obsessed with this idea of becoming a better leader and, and helping others and rewiring their brain that they will come and spend three days working with a horse just to rewire their own brain, to learn how to better connect with others, uh, to, to develop that ability to think and feel and connect and empathize, all those things. Uh, the other thing is, is we still do horsemanship clinics. And what is really cool is people will walk away from a clinic going, oh, my gosh, that was, 
that was that was the greatest thing ever. And they don't fully realize why. Well, it's because I'm using all these emotional intelligence techniques on them while we're learning how to train horses. Right. And so the information is easier for them to, to garner and and they're actually able to apply the techniques effectively, all those things, because I'm taking an emotional intelligence approach even when I'm teaching horsemanship. So uh, you can look for us online at Hogan Equine on Facebook. And if you want to schedule one of these workshops, an emotional intelligence workshop or a horsemanship clinic, you can certainly do so. Uh, we also do horse training. So as far as a discipline, that's what we call our, our business in the horse world, right? Uh, your business is what discipline you do. I do the working range cow horse discipline. That's what I really love. I do a little bit of stock horse and ranch horse as well. But if you want to send your horse for training, we still take in a limited number of horses for training. And uh, I love doing that. That that feeds the emotional side of me, right? When I get to go out to the barn and actually swing a leg over once when I'm not doing a workshop or flying around the country. So those are the different ways you can get involved. Also, I have people that just call and just get some consulting or coaching and just connect with me over the phone. I try to be as available as much as possible to do that because I feel like that's also giving back. And so, you know, real quick, when you give back, you give back either your time, your talents, or your money. And I don't think you can just give one of those exclusively. I think you, to be fulfilled and to be a good leader, you have to give back all three your time, your talents, and your money or resources. Time, talent, and treasure. Yes, treasure. That's a good one. Do you want to share a little bit about um, the, I'm going to call it a documentary. I don't think that's what you called it. Do you want to? <laughs> sure. It's absolutely a documentary. It doesn't look like one, hopefully. Uh, it, people all the time ask me about that. So, Two years ago, we started filming a thing called Chasing Wild. And I showed you a trailer the other night, Elise, and it looks like a stinking movie. I mean, it, it's, it's very well done. Hollywood film producers and directors, uh, 12K cameras, 120 frames a second. I mean, this thing is shot really, really beautifully, but it is a documentary. Uh, it focuses on emotional intelligence and wild horses, but it's very humanistic. They approached me and said, Byron, would you take four wild boys? These boys are about 18 to 20 years old. And would you pair them with four completely wild Mustangs that have never been touched and let us film it? We, we want these boys to ride these Mustangs. And, and I thought, yeah, give us, you know, give us a year. <laughs> or half a year, and uh, I'll think about that. I think we could do that. And they said, oh, no, we got to film this in 40 days. So that's what we did. In 40 days, these boys are, are trying to train these completely wild Mustangs. And, it's again, it's called Chasing Wild. Uh, I thought it was going to be a movie, but they had so much footy, footage, 70 terabytes of footage, that they turned it into a series. So you can be looking for that online. It should come out on all the streaming platforms, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, all that, called Chasing Wild. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. 
I'm excited about it because the little trailer that you showed us at the uh, workshop was was very compelling. It and by wild boys you mean like juvenile delinquents, right? Yeah. So so a lot of these boys had been in jail. Uh, uh, one of them had attempted murder charges still pending while while <laughs> while we were filming. Um, one of them we actually got out of jail. He, he went into an adult prison at age 15, uh, and through a lot of prayers and, <laughs> again, people using their time, talents, and treasures, they actually got this boy out of prison. He was supposed to be in there until he's 32 years old. Uh, he's 19 during the filming, um, and, and he went through this process. So these boys have limited to no emotional intelligence. Uh, they don't have the ability to care because nobody's cared for them. They can't communicate. Nobody's taught them how to effectively do it. They, you know, the idea of sharing a common vision, that there's no community for them. So they, they have no commonality, common vision, and, and obviously no character. Um, and on top of that, they've never touched a horse. So here we have these juvenile delinquents, as you said, that have never touched a horse, have no emotional intelligence, no skills, and, and they're going to try to train these horses. And it is just amazing the transformation that they go through. Yeah, and I know you can't, you know, kind of tell us about the end of it, you know, because we're, we're all thinking, <laughs> see, we want to see a happy ending, but I, we're going to see like a really great transformation and realization um, through these boys of c- connecting with the horses because the horses are basically, their brains are just like theirs. They have. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both completely in survival mode, you know, and, and what's so cool about this film is, is visually you can see it all on camera. Now, it's not about mirroring. It's not like the horse mirrors what you do, but it's just that, that those wild horses, their brain is hardwired just like these wild boys. Um, and on top of that, you're going to get to see me using my own emotional intelligence to try to train the boys to train the horses. Um, there's There's some scenes in the trailer where you can – you can see I've, I've had to be regulated. I've had to think and feel at the same time. I've had to try to have empathy while they're standing there cussing me out. You know, uh, <laughs> that, that's really hard to do, by the way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you get to see everything with this film. It's very raw. It's totally unscripted. When people watch it, they think, oh, that's all scripted. And these are like stunts that you're doing and body doubles and all this. And I'm, I'm like, no. Nothing is scripted. Everything happened in real life, just like you see on screen. And it is so raw. Um, I hope it inspires people, though, that uh, with some training, that, that anything's possible. You can become something. You can become a leader. And, and I see that's what you guys are doing with the leadership program is you're offering training. You know, and even though – uh, these kids are like the cream of the crop. They're in this program. Uh, hi, everybody. I know you guys are just big time overachievers out there. Still, without that training, without somebody stepping in and and sharing the, these skills and these tools, uh, you might not get to where you could be. You know, and so you're you're just seeing 
you're seeing that same thing with this film just starting at, at a lot lower level. Um, but, but yeah, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too, because I think that um, there'll be a lot of learning and a lot of emotional intelligence um, learning that's going on from all of the viewers that are just watching um, these young men with no skills trying to figure out how to communicate with these animals who have no communication skills, and there's a huge barrier, but they have to figure it out. And that's what leadership is, is figuring it out. How do I make this happen? We get problems, and we try to figure them out and resolve problems. And and that's what they're doing at the very, um, at the, as you said, most raw level. And so I think they'll yeah lot to learn from this film and um i thank you so much for being on our program today and as we say great general frank says great leaders are developed not born and so i think this is a great leadership development um piece of information for our students and our adult listeners alike. And so thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. I'm very excited to, to air it for our June podcast. Well, you're so welcome. I would love to connect with, with anybody out there with the audience. You can find me online on Facebook at Hogan Equine. You can email me at Hogan Equine at gmail.com. And I would just, I would love to offer uh, what, what God's given me and, you know, the years of struggles I've went through and the tools I've had to learn. I, I would love to share that uh, with the world and specifically with your upcoming leaders. So, so please reach out. I'd love to help. Thank you so much, Byron. I really appreciate it. And I know you're off to, um, to a a fundraising event that was a result of one of your uh, emotional intelligence workshops. So good for you for, for sharing and, and your goal of trying to be a part of something much bigger than yourself. That's what we encourage. So thank you. you Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Keep me in your prayers. I have to put a wild horse in a 40 foot pin on a concert stage tomorrow night and he's not supposed to jump off. So, so, Keep me oh, yeah. <laughs> we will definitely send out some, some positive thoughts about that. Thank you, Byron. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Travis. Thank you again to REI Oklahoma for making this podcast possible. For nearly 40 years, the board, staff, patrons, and supporters of the nonprofit economic development, REI Oklahoma, are committed to expanding Oklahoma's economic prosperity, earning the reputation of being one of the most comprehensive economic development organizations in the country. Business loans, training workshops, business consulting, and networking opportunities, as well as technical assistance and even commercial business space are made available to Oklahoma entrepreneurs and small businesses. For low and moderate income individuals and families, down payment and or closing cost assistance is offered. Learn more at reiok.org. This has been the Four Star Leadership Podcast. Now it's your turn, Four Star listeners. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and let us know what you thought of this episode. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and tune in next month for our next episode that airs every last Friday each month. Go be great.
The LaBar family is a fourth-generation Oklahoma family. That may not sound like a long time, but our grandfathers were born here, within the Comanche Nation, before the land runs. We are the proudest sponsor of the Tommy Franks Four-Star Leadership Podcast. We hope listeners will heed the words of these distinguished men and women who have served our country at the highest levels and across all walks of life. 